author and activist Adrian Marie Brown's most recent book. It's called Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. It's a call to action to remind us that seeking out what feels good is not only enjoyable, but it has the potential to fuel social and political revolution. The Detroit-based writer flew to the top of the New York Times bestseller list this year and has sparked national conversations about what it means to savor the experience of being alive. Culture Chef's Amanda LeClaire spoke with Brown how that and how the author's life has changed since the release of her new book. Pleasure activism, the idea that it's not enough to just survive. You know, I've heard people say that we've got to thrive, and I'm like, you know, it's not just survive, it's not even just thrive. It's like there's something delightful about being a human being, being alive, being conscious of all that's available and choosing pleasure. And when I say pleasure, you know, I don't always mean sex and drugs, although I think those are good places to learn what pleasure can look and feel like. But a lot of it is just like contentment and satisfaction. And I'm really curious, you know, we've had such a long period of capitalism, which Um, capitalism is nourished by dissatisfaction, right? As long as you think you don't have enough, you will pay money to buy more, buy more services, buy more goods. Um, So it's constantly trying to produce just enough dissatisfaction to keep you buying. And it's not actually in the best interest of most people who are creating a product to create something satisfying because once you're satisfied, you're not going to keep purchasing. So it's, oh, how do I start to think in a post-capitalist way about satisfaction and return to people their agency to have satisfaction inside themselves outside of anything they could ever purchase. So that's a part of it. The core question of pleasure activism is how do we make justice and liberation the most pleasurable experiences we can have um, with each other? And having done movement work for my adult life, I've been in so many spaces where I was like, this should feel good. We're on the right side of justice. We say that we care about each other, and yet it feels so judgmental it feels so limited it feels so controlling it feels it doesn't feel like pleasure Um, or the pleasure is very fleeting like it's just the moment of the march or a campaign victory and not like our daily experience of being in movement with each other so that's a part of pleasure activism the other side of it is reclaiming access to pleasure for those who have been marginalized and oppressed in different ways so people of color women, trans people, people with disabilities, like who are all the people that we look at and we're like, you don't deserve the same level of pleasure um, as someone who is superior and just breaking all that down to like, there's no one who is actually superior. That's a myth. myth. It's a myth that breaks down belonging on all sides. And how do we return to each other and return to the natural wiring of our bodies, which is Contentment, pleasure, satisfaction, connection, family, being with each other, caring for each other. So I was kind of surprised that it was the book that wanted to come during this political moment. Um, But I'm really grateful it has. I've gotten really strong feedback from people that, um, that this is what they're needing in order to survive this moment and to remember, like, that it's not enough to kind of crawl to the victory line, but that we have to be transforming our concept of victory into one that is a delight, you know, where it feels like this, I want to be alive for this. I recently spoke to uh, an author named Jenny O'Dell, and she wrote a book called How to Do Nothing. Yes, yes, yes. Resisting the attention economy. And in her introduction in the book, she has a similar uh, kind of sort of quandary about like, this is the moment to sit and have unstructured time. Is, Is it, you know, and it felt to her right in the same way you're talking about that 
being back in the body and and experiencing the world through your senses and how deeply pleasurable those senses can be gives you a reason to live, a reason to want to go on to the next day. I think there's that. And I also think, you know, it's one of my small petty pleasures is I look at all these people who are vying for power and doing all this harm, and I just know that they're not getting real pleasure in their life. I know that they don't have authentic connection, and I feel sad for them, you know, that I feel compassion and and pity. (laughs) You know, I feel like this weird cocktail of emotions that I used to just feel anger because I couldn't see um, or I had not liberated my own concept of power, my own concept of, like, what it is I'm trying to build. But, you know, right here in Detroit, Grace Lee Boggs, you know, she spoke about transforming ourselves to transform the world, and I love that I spend most of my life around people who are not trying to just dominate people within the existing paradigms of power, but trying to recreate what power means and how we get back to that place where we can feel the delight of our bodies, the sensation of being alive, of feeling from within. And there's nothing like that feeling of true connection, true belonging in community, Um, And a lot of the work I do is around that, like how do we return ourselves to belonging to this planet and to each other? Yeah, and I think that kind of ties into, uh, I wanted to ask you to dive in further a bit to how how misery and how loneliness is used as a method of oppression, especially for people of color and those with disabilities and trans and queer and non-binary folk. You know, one of the major inspirations for the book is a writer named Audre Lorde who wrote this text, The Uses of the Eroticus Power. And one of the things she talks about is how when you have been broken down to believe that you don't have access to your erotic power, to feeling good, you think that self-negation and suffering and depression and despair are your natural states of being and that suffering is the only thing. But then once you've experienced that aliveness running through you, you can no longer go back to settling for that. And I feel like I see that over and over again in people in communities where I'm like, oh, now that you've gotten a taste of something else, you can't go back there. And then, you know, for me, where my radicalization comes in is like, who benefits from me thinking that suffering and struggling is supposed to be my life? Um, And it's like, oh, there's a lot of privileged people who really benefit from a lot of other people believing that we're not meant to ever have joy and pleasure Um, Because then you don't have to share the resources. You don't have to share the world. And I'm like very tired of that paradigm and tired of being inside of it. And so I've been liberating myself, but then there's so much isolation that can come from that. And so it, for me, that part of belonging is core to pleasure activism, that it's not enough that it's just for me. It has to be for as many people as possible. And I think we see that now you know, as we speak, there's revolutions waging around the world. And one that I've been paying a lot of attention to is in Lebanon. Um, And I've been really moved by how much pleasure and dance and song and celebration is woven into the basic fabric of protest in terms of what they're doing. And I keep looking at that and being like, yes, those are people who realize that they have been cast as the miserable character. And they say, no, we're not the miserable character. We're not the angry people. We're not the terrorists. We are not what you have said of us. We are actually joyful families wanting to practice and celebrate and play with each other. And we're going to do that in this revolutionary work. And I see that here in Detroit 
all the time. I feel like a major reason that I moved to Detroit was because there was so much love and care at the heart of movement here. And that it was like, oh, what can we learn from that? What can the rest of the world learn from how Detroit does movement building, how Lebanon is doing movement building, how Puerto Rico just recently ousted their governor and the whole thing felt like a massive street party, street festival. I'm like, I get really interested in that kind of movement building. Um, One other thing I'll say on this is it also requires a shift in the way we think of identity that for a long time for me, the way blackness was presented to me was a, sh- a point, a place of shared struggle. That being black was like we, you know, were enslaved, and that lasted forever. And then there was Jim Crow, and that lasted forever. And then we've had like three years of not, <laughs> you know, being in total crisis. And then it's been police murders and police lynchings since then, and poverty rates and HIV/AIDS and crack. And I mean, it's just like a struggle story. And so there's a way that you can believe that blackness is synonymous with suffering. And one of the most beautiful parts of pleasure activism for me has been to shift the lens through which I view my home identity to understand and to see all the pleasure, all the dance, all the music, all the resilience, all the celebration that has gone right alongside of that and I think is the reason that black people still exist Um, not because of shared struggle, but because of what predated struggle, that there's a blackness before misery, there's a blackness before slavery. There's something deeper that is congruent with the planet and congruent with pleasure and congruent with raising beautiful children. Like, all of that is also in there. You know, now I love sitting in a room full of people who have kind of unlocked that door and recognize, like, oh, whatever this part of me is that someone said is, meant to guarantee my suffering. I'm not beholden to it any longer. I am finding another way. You know, I feel like it's politically important to me that all the children in my life look at me as a fat, black, queer woman and are like, oh, she's happy, right? She's happy right now in this lifetime. And she is in communities of people who celebrate and love and have great sex and eat good food and, and like are happy today, right now and liberated in this moment, and then fomenting more liberation in the future. Pleasure Activism came out last March, and it's it's deeply resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. How has your life changed since then? <laughs> it's been a wild ride and a really unexpected one. I think one thing is, you know, Emergent Strategy came out in 2017, and it was kind of a, like, underground success. You know, like, my publisher, AK Press, is a small publisher. When I started working with them, they were like, you know, we sell, like, 500 copies of stuff like, you know, we're, we're smaller press and a lot of his academic texts and stuff like that. But I like them because they are badass anarchists. And like so just values wise, I'm like, I trust that you'll let me express the values that I actually hold and that I won't be limited in that way. But Emergent Strategy sold a lot of books, like a lot more than they were expecting and a lot more than I was expecting um, for this little book about ants and birds and stuff. So That went really well. And I think that pleasure activism, part of the success of it, is tied to all these people who had bought emergent strategies slowly over those two years. Um, As soon as pleasure activism came out, they were like getting it right away. So it hit the New York Times bestseller list the week that it came out. And that never happened for my publisher. That it obviously never happened for me. It was a real shock. But that meant it was suddenly exposed to a whole different level of people. And so this year has been 
doing a ton of events, doing a ton of interviews. And um, I think the main change for me is there's a lot of places that I go to for pleasure, um, like hot springs and, you know, bathhouses and spas and stuff like that, that I can no longer experience the pleasure of anonymity in those spaces. So like recently I was doing a writing retreat at a hot springs and multiple people there recognized me and wanted to talk. And it was like, I'm naked and trying to enjoy, you know, being high under the stars and writing a book, you know, like doing what I do. And so trying to navigate, oh, how do I create the right kind of boundaries for this next level of exposure because um, I don't want to become a diva and just like no one can ever talk to me or I never go places where people are. And I also don't want to become the person who's like just complaining about fame all the time or something. I want to find a way to not take celebrity too seriously because I want the ideas to continue to spread to people. Right. Um, I think the other thing is like I get a lot more instant message, you know, messages from people that are about their orgasms or their relationships or like, you know, that they're like, I'm on mushrooms right now. And I just wanted to tell you, you know, so I get a lot of very intimate messages from people about the ways they are pursuing really tangible pleasures in their lives. And uh, with a lot of gratitude attached to that. And that feels good. Like I'm like, if my legacy in the world is like more orgasms, then that feels good. Like that feels like a good <laughs> legacy. Um, especially if it's more orgasms amongst the people who work the hardest to change the world and it keeps them going and it fuels them for another day and another connection and more intimacy. I want to see everyone in movement having powerful, authentic intimacy experiences. Like I don't want us to just be out here working so hard to save a world that we never get to experience the pleasures of. I actually want us to benefit from the beauty and the pleasure that's available in the here and now. That's Adrian Marie Brown, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. The Detroiter is now working on her next book. She spoke with Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire. 